Yeah, good morning. This is Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, discovering that I might have one of Megan's hairs somewhere in my shirt. They're always showing up in random places. I hope you're doing well today and that you're having a great Wednesday. I'm happy to be here. What are we? October 18th. October 18th today. Hopefully your mid-October is going well. I have a few fun visuals to show today, and I also just wanted to say that I had a great weekend at Design Day, the Stonemeyer Games Design Day. Uh, if you haven't heard of this event, it is an annual kind of mini convention that we run that is akin to some events called Protospiel or Unpub, where we invite, well, we don't invite, but we, we create a listing on our web store for people to sign up to come to this event and uh, either play test games that they are public, that they're working on, that they're either self-publishing or looking to submit to publishers, or just, they're just working on a game design, want to see how that process goes. Or people, and this is what really amazes me, people who aren't game designers show up and just offered a play test all day for other designers. Um, that's incredible. So that was how I spent my Sunday with uh, my amazing Stomire Games team. We were at Pieces Boarding Bar and Cafe here in St. Louis for the, the 10th annual Stomire Games Design Day. I'm gonna do a blog post about it tomorrow, so I won't go too much in detail today, but I wanted to mention that. I have some other things about that weekend to mention as well briefly here. Here's I, my wonderful coworker, Susanna. I think, Suzanne, Suzanne, was this your first design day or were you at last year's too? I'm trying to remember. Um, I think you were at last year's as well. Um, but yeah, thank you, Susanna, for, for being a part of that design day experience. Good morning, Tim, Ray, George, another George, Tony, Steve, um, and Chad and Cliff. Steve's asking about design day. Uh, my friend Miles is here as well. Uh, so design day itself was all Sunday. So I, I think we got there around 8.15 and I left around 8.15 and just a day full of creativity and generosity where people are offering feedback. Just the, the level of quality of feedback that people are giving, they seem to get better every year at, at, at giving feedback and, and playing these games. And added to Design Day, in addition to all those amazing things, the amazing people that show, showed up and came from around the country and even a few people from Canada, um, we did some things before design day as well. So my coworker, Joe, who lives in Nevada was in town. And so we went climbing as a team on, on Friday and then we had lunch together. And then on Saturday we had lunch as a team. And then I took a big group of design day attendees to go play disc, disc golf together. Some of them had played before. Many of them had not played before. I think we had around 25 total people playing disc golf at Crestwood Park in, here in St. Louis. And it was really neat to see people uh, playing with a Stillmeyer disc that we make and um, just learning what disc golf is like. You know, it's a big outdoor dexterity game. So that was awesome to see. I almost had an ace on my last basket of the first nine baskets that we did. A bunch of people gathered around to kind of just say goodbye and to, to hang out. And uh, it was remarkably close to being an ace. Like I hit the top of the, it came in at the right angle and hit the top of the basket, almost went in. I've been replaying that in my head ever since being like, oh, what if I had thrown it just slightly differently and that would have gone in? What a moment that would have been. But we had a great time doing that, um, playing disc golf with everybody. Uh, so yeah, that was the, kind of the design day weekend experience. If you have any questions, let me know, but I will go into detail tomorrow on tomorrow's blog post about uh, the experience. I'll share some photos and uh, talk about some of the games that people uh, really enjoyed and not just enjoyed, but thought were really close to getting ready to be published um, in terms of how far along in the design process those games are. Chad says that his son Owen says, hi, hi, Owen. I hope you're doing well. Hi there. Uh, Megan says, is apiary shipping in Canada already? Yes. 
uh, shipping uh, uh, update here. So, um, yeah, Megan, thanks for asking about this. So, for Apiary and uh, the Wingspan Fan Art Pack, those are the two main products that we launched on October, was it October 4th, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Australia started shipping last week. So Australia, that fulfillment center ships to Australia, New Zealand, and Asia. They started shipping last week. They'll ship, and all the answer for all these is that champion orders will ship first and will usually take one to two weeks to ship, and then other orders will ship after that. So that's Australia. Canada started shipping this week. Um, and so to, again to champions and so you might have gotten a shipping notification if you if you make it if you got a notification saying your order um, is shipping or if there's a tracking number in the order that means it's it has either left the fulfillment center or they've printed the label and it's getting ready to leave the fulfillment center um, us the word is that uh, our fulfillment center here in st louis is going to they're going to start shipping today they received a container Monday and Tuesday, but they need they needed both of those shipping containers to start shipping anything, apparently. So the word is that they will start shipping today. They, and I think that will happen. I hope it will happen. Uh, U.S. is definitely the biggest region in terms of the number of orders. So champion orders might take up to three weeks to ship, but they're going to aim. They're going to really try to get them all out by the end of October. And then Europe is the slowest this time. The shipping container took a long time, I think, to get out of China and get over to the U.K., that container won't arrive until next Monday or Tuesday, but Spiral Galaxy is prepped and ready to go all in on that shipment as soon as it arrives so they can maybe even catch up to some of the other regions. I really appreciate your patience, everyone who pre-ordered or who launched this product with us or these products with us. Uh, typically, we'd like to have the products in stock before we, um, before we launch them, but Essen Spiel kind of changed it a little bit where we... We had already planned and already really shipped games to Essen, so we wanted to launch at the same time as Essen. Lesson learned, though. I mean, that's a lesson we've learned in the past, but it was just a weird instance of timing, and I really do appreciate your patience as you uh, anticipate getting that. And importantly, very importantly, if you start to hear of people in your region, even fellow champions, for example, getting a shipping notification and you haven't gotten one yet, that is fine and normal. That is completely fine and normal because these fulfillment centers can't ship thousands of orders in the same moment or in the same hour or in the same day. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a few weeks for them, them to get that done. So if by the end of October, you are a champion and you haven't gotten a shipping notification, that might be a time where you might ask us about it. But um, in 99% of the cases, that simply means that your order just hasn't shipped yet and that it, it will ship and it is in the shipping process. So um, I appreciate your patience. Yeah, thank you so much. Good morning, Stephen, Derek, Garrett. Uh, Garrett says he's going to try to make it to design day next year, no matter what. Okay, Susanna confirms that last year was her first design day. She says it was fun to return this year and see how the format remains the same, but the inputs change thanks to the creativity of the designers and the excitement of the attendees. Yeah, the I, I totally agree, Susanna. And the, just the passion and excitement for gaming in the air at design day is incredible. Most of it is centered around prototypes in progress games, but there are some published games being played too, just for fun, because Pieces has a wonderful game library. Um, but it is, it, it's really neat to be in that spirit of game design and just be talking about and thinking about game design all day. It really, uh, it gets me energized about publishing and game design and the people who are a part of the game industry and the game community. Good morning, Corey. Keith says he just received his Scythe Expedition Ironclad Edition. Is there a difference between the first and second printing? Um, good question, Keith. We did make 
so they're, they're all technically kind of part of the same printing. It's two waves of the same printing that we coordinated to, um, to I, I don't know, I, I, it's a complicated answer, but they're essentially part of the same printing. But we did make, what was the small adjustment we made? Oh, we fixed uh, tile 16. Tile 16 has a small misprint in uh, the first wave that is completely fine to play with. It is a, a tile in the north, and most tiles in the north have a corruption value of eight plus. You have to stack eight plus value of corruption on that location when you reveal it. The first wave has five plus on location 16. Again, it is completely fine to play with that as five plus. In fact, sometimes it's a little bit nice to have a location show up where it's only five plus instead of eight plus corruption. Um, you could also just declare as a group that you're playing it as eight plus. And also in the expansion, in the expeditions expansion, we're going to include a replacement tile for those who are in the first wave. So Keith, I believe that is the only difference between the two. Uh, anything else about design day? I mean, I could continue to talk about it as much as you want. I had a lovely time there. I'm sure other little memories will come up. Um, it was great to see. Actually, I, I did see a second a comment a second ago from William. Let me see if I can hear it, William. Uh, William brought his game Purloin to Design Day. Got great responses, William. Congratulations on how well that went. It's a really neat looking game. He, uh, William also joined us for Disc Golf for the second year. He said Disc Golf was a, was a blast. You almost sunk that last hole in one shot. Yeah. Uh, again, I've been replaying that in my head. I can't believe how close that was at that moment where everyone had gathered around. Um, William said, so, and one thing that we did, I really like this, William, that we, uh, at least for my group, I had a group of six that I was walking around the course with, uh, the disc golf course. We switched to playing with partners a few baskets in, and that I thought was really good because some people were very new to the sport. They weren't throwing very far but they were having a lot of fun with the shorter throws. And so I paired up William, who's able to throw the disc pretty far with someone who is still learning Carol to throw the disc far. And that pairing worked well. I was paired with Jen. Um, Carol's husband, Ben, was paired with another Jamie. There were a lot of Jamies at Design Day. Anyway, yeah, I thought that went well. I'm glad you enjoyed that, William. It's a fun way to play disc golf and to add a little bit of uh, parody to the game. Um, George says he coaches climbing and I'm offering some specialty 60-minute uh, instruction sessions in January. He's looking for some suggestions for what beginner and intermediate climbers are interested in learning more. What kind of climbing class would you be interested in taking? Interesting question, George. Um, so I'll give you my off-the-cuff response, and this is from someone who really struggled. I really struggled the first few times I went into a rock climbing. Um, and this is really, I mean, I'm sure as a coach, you'll be able to get someone beyond this right away but i didn't get it uh the i was really trying to pull myself up the wall with my arms and i know as much as you can say use your legs use your legs it's tough when you were um you know on a wall it's it's a, it's a little bit different than other things that you do in real life and so the the thing that really helped me is when someone said pretend that you're walking up a steep staircase or pretend that you're climbing a ladder when you're climbing a ladder you don't pull yourself up the ladder you use your feet and you press up the wall, you press up the ladder, and you stay close to the ladder. You don't lean away from the ladder, you stay close to it. Um, I needed to really hear that probably repeated times uh, uh, to, to really understand that concept because I was, I was just hanging off the wall and then trying to pull myself up like doing a pull-up. Um, again, George, that's probably very rudimentary advice that you give anyone, but that was the type of thing as a, very, a new beginner that, uh, that would have helped me, I think, enjoy those first few experiences if someone had helped convey that to me, or if I maybe helped hear it if I wasn't listening. Does anyone else have any thoughts about that? Anyone who has done indoor or outdoor rock climbing, the types of thing 
things that they would like to learn as a beginner or an intermediate from an expert like George who is willing to, cook, to coach you. Uh, Steve says he taught expeditions last night at a con or last weekend at a convention. Thank you, Steve, so much for teaching expeditions. He says it was weird not having my cat lay all over the board during the middle of the game. Speaking of cats, that's one of the visuals I had today. I have a bit of a silly visual about my beloved Biddy. You can see my Biddy memorial wall in the background back there. Um, Megan yesterday was cleaning out a spot under the bed where Biddy used to lay, and she found an immense amount of Biddy hair. And so I right now. Biddy used to sit on my desk often when I was working. So right now it's kind of a weird thing on my desk. I have a mound of Biddy hair on my desk next to some other photos of Biddy. Here's a little photo of my dear Biddy. Here's his illustration in, um, in Expeditions. And here he is in Tapestry. Let's see that in Tapestry. Um, no, that's a little weird thing to have on my desk. I also have some fun things on my desk. I have Earthborn Rangers, a game that I just received in the mail yesterday, maybe the day before. I'm really excited to play this. As soon as we finish the Lost Ruins of Arnak campaign expansion, we have one game left in that. And now, I, I know I've been, I think probably, if you follow these livecasts, you've heard me talking about how I've avoided buying more campaign games because I know that I have a lot on the way. Earthborn, Earthborn Rangers is one of those that's on the way. I also got a shipping notification for the Role Player Adventures expansion, which is coming soon. And I think Sleeping God's Distant Skies is another one coming soon as well. So I have those three campaign games to keep us occupied over the next few months. Also, Stonemeyer game, the fifth anniversary, the fifth birthday of Between Two Castles is coming up tomorrow. So if you have Between Two Castles and you want to celebrate its fifth birthday with me, feel free to join in and play tomorrow, play, play this weekend sometime. Um, it's amazed, amazing to me that it's been five years since we published this. Uh, it was really neat to see how this game came out of Between Two Cities. I think Between Two Cities is definitely easier to introduce to people, simpler rules, but uh, the wackiness that can come out of uh, Between Two Castles is a lot of fun for me to see. And I like that every tile has something unique about it. And the setup trays from game trays work really well. I love the cover art. Um, yeah, I really love what happened with this game. Between Two Castles, fifth birthday coming up tomorrow. So happy birthday to Castles. Joe is joining us first time for a while on the live cast. He says, um, I'm home organizing games following the repairs to our home after last year's flooding catastrophe. I couldn't think of a better video to watch as I placed games on your shelves. Joe, what system are you using? Are you sorting by category, by player count, by color, um, by, uh, by alphabetically? Let Joe and anyone else watching, let me know how you currently sort your games on your game shelves and if you ever resort them or do you, if you just pick a system and stick with it. Um, for me, I have... I, I, so I have a Calyx. I'm looking at my Calyx over here that you can't quite see. But... Uh, I kind of group it into the, the little Calyx cells. I group them by similar games. Um, whether it's similar by player count, by feel, by length sometimes. I have, kind of a, I have a cooperative section. I have a uh, two-player section. So little sections of games on that, on that shelf over there. I also have another question of the day, but I'll save that for a little bit. Um, let's see, sorry, scrolling past here a little bit. Um, it's basically the thing where it scrolled too far, but I'm catching up. Let's see. Ray says, I've seen, seen the new film, The Creator. I have not seen that yet, but I am curious about it. He says uh, he had a similar vibe, or his brother saw it and said that it had a similar vibe to Scythe with 
nature juxtaposed with technology. I love the visuals in it. I heard a lot of it was shot on location, so I'm really curious about that. Tom asked for any news on the Libertalia promo. Tom, the only news that we have so far is that it is on the progress chart. I look forward to sharing more when uh, it gets closer to, uh, you know, usually I start talking about things about a month before we launch them. David says, um, I went outdoor rock climbing many years ago as a Boy Scout. Something I'd want to know or ask is how to visually identify paths or spots to grab. Not as obvious as indoor climbing walls. Yeah, David, I love that question about um, outdoor rock climbing and how that's different. I've never done outdoor rock climbing. I've only done indoor. Steve says, what card number is Biddy in Expeditions? Biddy is card 013. So that's Biddy in the foreground and Walter in the background. 013. Here's Molly. Uh, I got to hang out with Molly and Jamie at Design Day. Molly says, we had a wonderful time at Design Day and in St. Louis for the whole weekend. Well worth the drive every time we come. It's quite a drive for Molly. Molly and Jamie are the two that came all the way from Canada. I think that was our first international guest appearance at Design Day. And it was wonderful to have Molly and Jamie there. Um, they had a game that will appear on the, the list tomorrow that I post of games that many people said were getting pretty close to being ready to be publishable, basically. Tom says, I'm excited for the new Magic the Gathering expansion in a few weeks. Magic is coming out with so many sets these days. I feel like they had just had the Fairy Tale set. They had the Doctor Who set. And now there's another one, Ixalan. Um, I am excited about Ixalan. I, I don't know if they, they... One of the related sets, I believe, had one of my favorite mechanisms ever in Magic, which was Landfall, I think was what it was called, where pl playing a land triggered something um, on the cards that you had. I, I loved that ability. Also, for some reason, this made me think of my chocolate of the day. This chocolate is packaged in a way that I don't think is illegal in the U.S., but um, a few people, including Corel, who works heavily on Rolling Realms, sent me some chocolate, um, sent some chocolate back with Susanna, Alex, and Dave after Essenspiel, or at Essenspiel. And so he sent this little thing called chocolate pills. So in the U.S., I don't think you can package treats um, to look like uh, medicine. This is obviously just joke packaging. These aren't actually medicine. They aren't. They aren't pills in any way. It's just candy in a pill type container. But um, I'm delighted that Carell sent it because these are delicious. He also sent some really fancy chocolates that I'm enjoying. They're off screen over here. But this is my chocolate of the day. These chocolate pills. Uh, what is your chocolate of the day or your treat of the day? How are you treating yourself? In fact, if you go to Instagram, I posted a photo of the fancy chocolates before I started eating them. That's on at JB Stegmeyer on Instagram. My, that's my post from this morning. Garrett says he thinks that Between Two Castles has quite possibly the best insert of any game ever. Thank you, Garrett, for saying that. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good insert. I thought Noah at Game Trace did a wonderful job with it. The intent of the insert for Between Two Castles is that you get to set up the game essentially uh, when you're cleaning up the previous game. So setup is super, super fast. Maybe the fastest of almost any other game, probably, of, yeah, of most games. It is incredibly fast setup because the insert uh, has a specific height for the tiles. You just grab a stack of tiles and that's all you need. That's your opening hand of tiles. You've already shuffled it in the previous game. Sam says, I think the bitty ball is awesome. This is the ball of bitty hair that we found under the bed that Megan cleaned out yesterday. He says, I have Duke's dog tags on my nightstand, which I will sometimes shake to listen to the jingle of before bed and remind me of him. That reminds me of Sam. So sometimes when I'm, when I'm reminiscing about Biddy, I go back and watch videos of him. And some people gave me some great advice of recording Biddy's sounds. Biddy was a very talkative cat. 
and uh, before before he passed away, he was a little less talkative at the end, but uh, throughout his life, he was very talkative. He would have full conversations with you. And I wish, I, one of my my few regrets about about uh, my, you know, the 16 and a half years that I spent with Biddy is that I didn't take more videos. I took a ton of photos, but not as many videos. I wish I had been more intentional about like maybe once a week taking a video of Biddy because those videos, videos I would really treasure um, now. I, I really, I don't even have all that many from the last few years. So any of you who have pets, and I'm, maybe Sam, you can relate to this, pets that you adore and you treasure, who make sounds, who make, have interesting movements to them, I think, as I think most pets do, I'd highly recommend being intentional about taking videos, especially given how our phones make that super easy to do now. Um, yeah, I'm sure many of you already know that advice. You don't need that advice, but it's a reminder to myself to do that. And really, actually, a reminder to myself to do that with Walter, because we still have Walter, and Walter is an adorable cat who deserves more than just uh, more than just photos. George says, yesterday I had my first play of Apiary at four players as a friend brought a copy back from Essence Spiel. We had a great time. That's great to hear, George. I'm glad to hear you had a good time with your first play. Molly says that Between Two Castles is one of her favorites. Definitely going to play it tomorrow. That's awesome, Molly. Thank you for, for playing Between Two Castles on its birthday. Uh, October 19th is apparently its birthday. Yeah. Dominic says, so many campaign games that I still need to get through as well. I was just talking about how I got Earthborn Rangers in the mail. He says, I still have three games left in Rise of Fenris, and I'm about halfway through ISS Vanguard. So many good campaign games to get through. I'm finding more and more that uh, by far most of my campaign games I will be playing just with Megan. It's much easier to get them to the table with Megan than to coordinate a bigger group. Daniel says he just wore his Stonemaier Games cat shirt yesterday. I chose to wear mine today. Oh, another little hint at pity. Um, okay, Joe says, I asked Joe how he organizes his game shelf. I asked all of you that a few seconds ago. He says, I organize by genre. I like that system. Alex is saying he, uh, they're going to play Between Two Castles with uh, their father-in-law coming into town this weekend. Susanna says that she just backed her first Kickstarter ever, and it feels weirdly momentous to her. She says it's a puzzly tile-laying game about called Diatomes about ge geometric microscopic algae. Do you remember the first game that you ever backed on Kickstarter? I will say, Susanna, a few weeks ago, someone brought up that game on the livecast, and I backed it too. So I'm getting a copy of Diatomes, Diatoms as well. Um, really beautiful game. So it's, for those of you listening, it's D-I-A-T-O-M-S. It's 200% funded at this point, um, so they're, def they're definitely going to make it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The first game I ever backed, Susanna, I think it might have been a game, oh, it might have been a game from Crash Games, which no longer exists. It was a little puzzly, dueling, tile placement game. That was definitely one of the, the very, very early ones. Um, that might have been it. I can't remember exactly, but that was definitely one of the very, very early ones. And I don't think the first thing I backed on Kickstarter was even a game. I backed some other things like book projects. There was a few food projects that I backed on Kickstarter early on. Uh, nowadays, I usually just pay attention to Kickstarter for games. But every now and then, another project from a different category will pop up. Uh, Kevin says, I resort a lot. Resorts is game shelf, but generally sort by what kind of group I'd like to, I, I'm most likely to play the game with so my guests can more easily pick, browse and pick. I really like that, Kevin. Like if you, it's it's almost hard to do, but also easy to do uh, in some certain circumstances. Like with my game night, I like the sorting by player count and playing time because sometimes, you know, there's 30 minutes left and players are looking for a shorter game 
for that playing time. And I think it helps to look at a certain section of the shelf to see games with that. Daniel says he organizes his shelf by publisher and by box size. Yeah, box size is nice too. That way they can line up all nicely. Hey, Carol's joining us too. Carol was one of the, the amazing Design Day attendees and one of the creators of The Mill along with Molly. Um, Carol says, so much fun playing so many different games last weekend and meeting so many great people. And thank you, Carol, for taking photos at the event too. There are some wonderful photos that Carol took. Greg says this, his game organization can best be described as higgly, higgly, piggly, piggledy. Makes sense to no one, even me sometimes. David says, why did you suggest that the apiary punch boards can go under the insert? I've always wondered whether the stack of punch boards that expand the box height add a lot to shipping versus pre-punching somehow and having a smaller box. David, yeah, great question. Um, You're right that apiary in particular has a lot of tiles. I think it had maybe eight total punch boards. And so that means, um, so with apiary, when we shipped it, I'll use Orthburn Rangers as an example. Um, so we actually had a little bit of box rise when shipping. It's okay to have a little bit of box rise like that because when you take out all those punch boards and you punch them and you put them into the insert, the box sinks down. But there's kind of some give and take there where some games suggest, as we did with Apiary, that you take a few of those punch boards, not all of them, but a few of them, and put them under the insert to so that the final result is that the uh, when everything is in the box, that it's uh, flat on top of the insert in comparison with the top of the box. That way, not, there's less risk that things will shift around um, within the box. So that is a recommendation that we do for Apiary. The, uh, David mentions that the alternative is that you have things pre-punched. But pre-punching is definitely more expensive, so it adds to the cost and also the price that you pay as a customer. Apiary is already a fairly expensive game. And crucially, uh, when you pre-punch, there's a significantly higher chance that one of the things that the people are punching at the factory doesn't end up in the box. Significantly higher. So um, as hard as they try to do that, it can definitely still happen. Because it is people. It's not a... I mean, maybe there's some machines that do it now, but I think for the most part, it is a person that you're asking to punch the game for you. And also just on kind of an ethical, moral level, that feels weird to me. Um, asking asking our, our factory workers to sit there and punch the games when, when we can do it ourselves. There is some give and take there, of course. Like we even did consider for Apiary um, having a few of the punch boards, those that just have kind of bigger tiles on them that are less easily lost. Uh, having a few of them pre-punched and everything else not pre-punched. I don't think we we didn't decide to do that in the end. I don't I don't believe I don't think anything was pre-punched. Yeah, good question though. Tom says any European shipping updates for the October fourth promo realms. So yeah, Tom, the uh, the shipping update real quick for anyone who is coming in now. Shipping update for everything that we sold on October fourth that we launched then. So it includes promo realms, the wingspan fan art pack, apiary. Um, looking for my copy of apiary, but it was it was borrowed. I don't even have my copy right now. Uh, the update for all that stuff is uh, Australia, New Zealand, and um, and Asia, and Canada have started shipping. U.S. is starting to ship today, and then uh, Europe will start to ship next week. This is all about the timing of when the freight shipping, the ocean freight shipping containers arrive or will arrive at fulfillment centers. Chad says, I'm discovering that I only like Euro games if they have a very strong theme. I play dry Euros, but really find the fun in them. What's your favorite thematic game that has Euro mechanisms in it? Oh, good question. Um, always a tough question for me to think of off the top of my head, but I do like the question. Let me look at my collection over here to see if there's a thematic game, a game with strong theme 
I mean, a lot of my a lot of my Euro games I feel like have pretty strong theme to them. Um, what is one of my favorites that I feel like has a pretty strong theme? But uh, well, game the game that was maybe themed first that has strong Euro mechanisms. Uh, oh, I have a lot to pick from over here. I'll throw out Clank. I talk about Clank a lot, but Clank I think is a game that has really strong mechanisms, but um, but it also has a very strong theme. You know, I, I very much feel like I am crawling through uh, a web of a dungeon in Clank, even though the mechanisms are very Euro-oriented in terms of what I'm actually doing. A lot of agency over my decisions. Um, very little is left to chance. Yeah, and that the things that are left to chance are left so because it's it's more fun that way. Carol says, did I get to take some time to relax after a busy weekend? Not really, no. Um, uh, Walter let me sleep in an extra 15 minutes today, though. That was nice of Walter to let him do that. So I got 15 minutes of extra sleep today. <laughs> Hopefully that counts. I do feel re well rested, though. So Joshua says, are there any chocolates that you love but have a hard time getting a hold of? I love Cadbury Flake, but it's not easy to get in, in America. What I've gotten isn't the same as what I had when I was in Ireland years ago. Yeah, I found that to be the case sometimes when you, sometimes, like Amazon has pretty much everything, but sometimes it's not exactly the same somehow. I think different types of sugars are used, different types of processes are used to make the chocolate. Um, Joshua, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but we used to do a monthly subscription box, like a, a treat box type thing. I can't remember the exact name of it, where it, it sent us treats from a certain country around the world. There were many times where we had those treats and we wanted to buy more of them. And oftentimes we could buy them directly from the company that sent the treat box. Sometimes we would also go to Amazon and other places and try to find them. And they were often pretty hard to find that way. Usually it was the uh, the the chips that, that were hardest to find. Let's see, it looks like I'm way behind on questions. I will try to catch up quickly here. Um, so I, I'll scroll through and just focus on questions for a minute so I can catch up. I see lots of answers here to previous questions. Uh, so David is, is Connie's partner. Uh, this is the David who's here. He says, glad to see people starting to get their copies of Apiary. Connie and I taught a couple friends last night and she crushed, up, crushed us in the score. She might be good at the game. Connie is, I'm sure, very good at the game. Uh, Lori's also wearing her Stonemaier Games cat shirt. Let's see, I'm just scrolling through, looking for questions real quick so I can catch up. Uh, Chad says, I'm really loving the theme of Ezra and Nehemiah, but everyone, including Garpale Game, is saying it's their heaviest game yet. Uh, what is your interest level of this game? Garfield, I, I, I love what they do. I love what um, what Sam and Shem do. Their games are sometimes getting to be too heavy for me, um, but that's okay. I love people who love those heavier games. And I'm trying to be open to heavy games uh, because I have a lot to learn from them. So it isn't a game that I'm backing, but I am curious about it. I'm curious about pretty much every game. Let's see. Tim says, how can you tell if you are still my champion? I think I am, but I don't see anywhere on my account to confirm. Um, how can... Well, if you're signed in, Tim, you you can see the champion prices. If you aren't if you are signed in in any way to Shopify and uh, you don't see champion prices, then you're not a champion, or at least not under that email. Um, that's the easiest way I think to see. Uh, Josh says, "I want to start sleeping guides at the shop that I work at, as the shop I work at has a he um, he built a community that meets." 
every weekend, but is there missing content from the Kickstarter compared to the retail that anyone can think of? Josh, the only thing that's uh, that that I that was included in the Kickstarter campaign that I can think of was like an extra dungeon section that's separate. It's a separate separate from the campaign, this dungeon area. And Sleeping Gods is so big that we never even got close to getting to that. We could have played a whole other campaign of Sleeping Gods and uh, and seen all the aspects of the world that we didn't even see the first campaign, and we still wouldn't have gotten to that dungeon part. So there is a little thing missing, but I, I think there's so, so many hours of play out of Sleeping Gods that are separate from that, that added dungeons expansion. Andrew's wearing the Stomar Games Cat t-shirt today. That's awesome. Uh, David says also, if you're looking to see if you're a champion, for him, if he goes to the shop page and goes to account, it shows up at the top. That's another way to see. I think that might be also how you can cancel uh, your champion membership if you ever want to. Uh, Leia says, which fulfillment company do you use in the U.S.? We work with Miniature Market, who that they're also an online store, but they have a giant web uh, uh, fulfillment center and warehouse here in St. Louis. We're in St. Louis, so it makes it very convenient for us to to ship out from their fulfillment center. Um, yeah, so we work with Miniature Market. TJ says, any teasers or details about the expansion to Expeditions that you can reveal? So far, the only thing that I've revealed about Expeditions is that we are including two new mechs and two new mech mats in the Expeditions expansion. I will start to probably tease some other stuff in the monthly Expeditions slash Scythe newsletter. It's kind of a, a 1920 plus world newsletter. So you can subscribe to that if you go to the Expeditions page on our website and say, I, I believe there's a page there that, or a link there that says sign up for updates. Let's see what it says so you can find it. But that's the main place. And oftentimes I'll also repost that content in the Expeditions um, Facebook group as well. What are we calling this? So Expeditions, if you go to the Expeditions page, yeah, here we go, right at the top of the page it says, keep me updated. And that will subscribe you to an expedition specific monthly newsletter sometimes every other month sometimes i won't have news every month yeah kevin says am i excited for dune imperium uprising did you look at any of the coverage for the mr beast pre-release invitational that was very interesting that mr beast got involved in uh in dune imperium uprising not sure how they pulled that off that's really impressive i think of uh direwolf studios i'm still excited to play my copy of dune imperium i, I would say i, I Unless a friend gets Dune Imperium Uprising, I probably won't be getting it because I, I feel like my copy still has plenty of play. I haven't even played the third, the second expansion for Dune Imperium yet. But I'm curious to see what people think of it when it comes out. Brian mentions uh, Obsession as a Euro game with a very strong theme. I totally agree with that. That is on my shelf. I didn't even think of that one. Valerie says that she wants this shirt. We should have it still on our web store, Valerie. I think we made more than enough of, of this shirt in a variety of sizes if you want to get it. it should be on the Canadian web store where I think you are. Mark says that he played Apiary again with a friend's copy last night. He had a new high score of 101 points. Getting over 100 in Apiary is really good if you can pull that off. Uh, he says he's excited about going deeper into it. Tim says that Arc Nova's theme, theme is strong and fun. And I find people who don't like long Euros play it, despite it being longer than most Euros. Arc Nova, I think, is like the watermark for me of a complex game that doesn't feel as complex because the action system is so good. It doesn't require you to remember very much. It's an interesting puzzle, and it's very streamlined. So that's what I'm looking for. I am always looking for heavier games, or I, I am interested in heavier games that have very streamlined action selection systems that... Uh, that are really well done. That's that's 
what I'm looking for in a heavier game. Garrett says, in 2019, you posted a video about games by others that Stomire Games would have published. Would you ever consider doing an updated video? I actually, Garrett, I do have that on my video list to do. Let me see how I've phrased it here. Um, yes, yeah, I do have that on my list to revisit. I'll bump it up on my list a little bit. I use Trello to keep track of my list of which video I'm doing next. Uh, in fact, I'm going to check one off because the video that I filmed yesterday was about games that where the games with cards where both sides of the cards have something printed on it. That's important that you can use. So that was a fun video to film. Lots of interesting games that use both sides of the cards. David says, did you come to a decision about the dual layered mech mats in the Expeditions expansion? We're still thinking about that, David. Good question. I'll reveal it when we know the answer for sure. Um, but yeah, that was it was great to get feedback about that. So the the quick version of this is that um, we didn't have a good way of including dual layered player mat or mech mats in expeditions. It would have added too much to the cost um, and and the price as a result. And we I did, didn't really have a good way to fit everything on there. And I couldn't really decide what we needed to fit on there. But uh, I've seen some custom like overlays come out that started to answer that question a little bit. So I reached out to Panda to see if there's a way that we can solve that by including dual layered mats in the Expeditions expansion. And not just the two new mech mats, but also the five original mech mats in dual layered format in a way that's affordable, cost-effective, and where they are high quality, they don't warp, things like that. Uh, so, so it's a puzzle that we are actively working on. Uh, please don't be disappointed, or I hope you're not disappointed if it doesn't work out, but uh, it's something that we are looking into. Carol says that she has now played five campaigns of Sleeping Gods. That's probably almost 100 hours of Sleeping Gods right there, unless Carol's pretty good at playing fast. She says she owns the Tides of Ruins expansion. That's the expansion I was referring to. It just adds more to the map. And the Dungeon expansion, or maybe that was the one I was thinking about. One of those two. Um, it all blends together to fill out the world. However, we, are, we aren't even close to seeing everything. The base alone gives so much content. Totally agree with that. Um, Mark says, are there any standouts from Design Day 2023? You know... Mark, I'll share the full list tomorrow. Interestingly enough to me, the top two games were trick-taking games. And again, these aren't necessarily the top two games that people love the most, but they were the top two games that people said, these are the closest to being in a publishable state. Um, and people probably also enjoyed them. But yeah, the top two games you'll see tomorrow are trick-taking games from Design Day. Interesting. Okay, Chad says that he thinks that Mr. Beast actually reached out to Dire Wolf to get the tournament set up. That's really cool. I, it's awesome. I, I, I can kind of see a lot of overlap with Mr. Beast. I don't follow him too closely, but I've seen some of the things that he's done on his channel. Um, and I can see him being into tabletop games and being into gaming. Uh, definitely, that makes perfect sense. Ian has a little update about Board Game Club. He says, first night of Board Game Club, he had 16 players, 9 games, played a total of 14 times. He played Happy Little Dinosaur, Sushi Go Party, and Tetris, while kids were playing uh, some classic Hasbro games. That's wonderful, Ian. I hope that's going well and continues to go well. Stefan says, I brought Apiary home from Essen and, asked, and my daughter asked to learn it. It's the first time in about five years that she had asked to learn a game. We both liked it very much and we're excited to get it back to the table. I love hearing that, Stefan, when something about the game can draw people in who maybe normally aren't excited about games. Joshua says, I had to look up Trello as something, um, as it sounded like something 
that it would love to that he'd love to use while at work. So Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O, it is a list-making app essentially, where it's very easy to to create new lists within the same list and reorder things within the list. Joshua says, what other systems or apps do you use in your day-to-day -to, -day to organize Stillmeyer work? So I'll just look at my computer to see some of the things I use. I use Google Sheets a lot. I use um, Basecamp for some some project management. I also use some Google Sheets for that. I What else do I use? I use WordPress. I have Trello up. Um, I use Discord. Yeah, those are, the, those are the main ones, I would say, on a daily basis that I'm seeing like either open right now or among my uh, quick access shortcuts. Jake says, I feel like a broken record about this, but I had such a great time at Design Day, kicking myself for missing years past. I'm so glad to hear that, Jake. And let's see, Jake, I want, I want to see if Jake's game appeared in the games that people thought were getting ready to be published. Because Jake prepared a game specifically for Design Day. He wanted to go through that process to see what it felt like to design a game and to share it with people. I love that he did that. Um, yeah, Jake, thank you. I, I don't see it in the, the top 10 games that people thought were getting close to being ready, but that's totally fine like that. Oh, it's very close. He, he had one that was pretty close to, to being up there. Um, but I really applaud Jake and other people who maybe stepped outside of their com comfort zone to design a game and show up at design day and, and play it with people and show it with people. So I'm excited to play your game too, Jake. And now that, now that you probably hopefully gotten some great feedback from design day. Um, Uh, Josh says he was supposed to go in 2020. 2020 was the year that we had a virtual design day because, due to the pandemic instead of uh, in-person design day. Leia says that uh, they recommend Airtable for project management and tables and lists. So everything all at once, Airtable. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Leia, for that recommendation. Jake says this game was 11th on the list, so close to the top 10. Still awesome, absolutely. Really, it's more even about the rating. You're close to a five rating, which is people saying five out of six. So it's people saying this is this is pretty close. Um. I've been focusing mostly on your comments today. Let's see if there's any topics. Oh, yeah, I did something fun the other night. So actually, um, the day after Design Day, my best friend asked me to come over and share one of my favorite games of the year, Star Wars deck building game with his son, because his son recently got it for his birthday. I was pretty tired from Design Day, but, you know, I love these people. So I went over and I decided to give myself a little challenge, despite being brain burned from Design Day. And I brought my copy of Star Wars deck building. And instead of teaching those two how to play or have, teaching playing against one of them and having the other one watch, I decided to play two simultaneous games of Star Wars deck building. One against Will, one against Trevor, with me playing as different factions on the other side of the table. Um, so it wasn't a three-player game. It was two separate two-player games. And it was a fun challenge. I lost both of them. I lost both to, to new players. Um, because I was kind of just keeping things moving. I was also teaching, which takes extra time and energy. But uh, but that was that was neat to do. So I'm curious if any of you have ever done that. Have you ever tried to play two simultaneous games and how did it work out? Mark says, has side quest games entered your radar? They're publishing puzzle or escape room-like games based on board game titles like Nemesis and 7th C. What do you think about these types of games? You know, there seems like there are a lot of... Um, of uh, puzzle and escape room type games on the market. I have played a few of them, mostly I think from the Unlock or Exit series, and I do enjoy them. I I know that we also have a few sitting on our shelf right now that Megan and I probably should have gotten off the table by this point, so we haven't. So that's a sign to me that I'm not looking to add more to my collection at this time, but it is a neat series of games. I know people really seem to enjoy them and the things that designers do in them are often really, really creative 
Um, but I haven't played anything from the side quest line. Recent post I made on the blog, I posted one about music, whether or not people play or listen to music while they're playing games. Got some interesting responses about that, about uh, people's preferences. I rarely remember to play music when I'm playing games, um, largely because I work in silence. I prefer to work in silence unless I'm doing something mindless and then I have a podcast on. And my blog or my video this past weekend was about worker placement games where getting more workers or more workers faster isn't necessarily better and sometimes can even be worse. Um, so that's an interesting list. I, I went through a bunch of different categories. So if you're working on a, a worker placement game and you're thinking about that strategy, how some players might just try to race to get more workers, um, how to counter that a little bit and give players more interesting decisions uh, when, when it seems like getting more workers is, is just better. That was my video from this past weekend. Let's see. Curtis says, do you enjoy sandbox type games? I do. I, I think I have actually a top 10 sandbox game list with, uh, I know Western Legends appears on the list. Dead Reckoning, I don't know if I had played when I made that list, but that is a great sandbox game. And, and Zaya. Let's see, David. I'll look it up real quick to see what I put at the top of my sandbox game list. It's been a while since I posted that one, so... I don't necessarily remember sand sandbox so sandbox game for those watching who aren't familiar with that term it typically refers to a game where your options are wide open it doesn't mean open world necessarily it just means that there's a lot of different things that you can do to uh, progress in the game that you can explore there isn't really an, a wrong answer and a lot of different ways to get points i think sometimes there's some overlap with point salad type games games where just everything gives you points but i think it's a little bit different uh, in the sandbox game where there are distinctly different things, things that feel different that give you points. And yeah, I did find the video from a few years ago, 2020, and my top three, so you can search my YouTube channel for sandbox and see my list. My top three were Magic the Gathering. I think it's a great sandbox game. There's so many different things you can do with magic, especially if you're building your own deck. A Feast for Odin and Sulkin. I, all, I considered all of those sandbox games. Very flexible definition of it, um, but those are the ones I put at the top. Uh, let's see. Uh, Heather says, yeah, Heather, it was wonderful to meet Heather at Design Day. Her game, Apostocracy, um, was their design game. A game more about people than bees, but it ties into the theme of a, a beehive and a queen bee. Uh, really neat to see. It looked beautiful. Heather's also an artist, so the game looked beautiful on the table. Heather, I did reach out to the person that I told you about when we were talking at design, about at Design Day, and um, they are sticking with them being the only publisher at their company unfortunately, but I did mention you as an artist as well to them, just in case they want to be interested, they want to reach out to you at some point. So I, I shared that conversation with them. This is a little vague uh, talk here, but I want to let Heather know that I did reach out to this person. Uh, and Heather says, uh, her game is a worker placement game with trick-taking at the end game. I loved my first design. I'm so happy to hear that, Heather. And that's neat that you have trick-taking right at the end of the game. So I guess that's three games at the top of the list with trick-taking in the games. Joe's off to his game cafe. Molly says, I love seeing all the people I met at Design Day. From seeing in the comments here, that is neat to see. When you when you have just seen someone's avatar or their name on Discord or on Facebook, and suddenly you get to meet them at an event like Design Day or a convention like Geekway. That's always wonderful to see. Daniel says, have I ever played Go? I have, but it's been a long time. Uh, they say, do you think heavy strategy, easy-to-learn games stand a chance today? I do. I do. I, I think... I, I think any game with easy onboarding but a complex level of decisions is uh, is really thriving today. I don't know if an abstract game like Go 
has a chance to thrive as much uh, or really to, to take off. There are outliers, but I, I think people get less excited about them. Once they get on the table, they're like, oh, this is familiar. This is great. I, I really enjoy this. But I think as a something to get someone excited, I think abstract games are much more difficult to do that from a marketing perspective. Uh, Chad says, would contract fulfillment be one of your top five or top 10 mechanisms? Hmm. I wouldn't put it in the top 10 favorite mechanisms for me, no. Um, I think it is something that often works its way into games. I think it has a place in many games, including games with mechanisms that I really enjoy. But it isn't a mechanism I get really excited about. Um, let's see. I, I'll pull up my... I have a list, a video about my favorite mechanisms overall. My top 10 favorite mechanisms. Let me see if gonna be, yeah, okay, here are my top 12 favorite game mechanisms. I'll run through the list real quick. Uh, worker placement number one, I cut you choose, tug of war, deck and bag building, uh, polyominoes, engine building, push your luck, one-way time tracks or one-way action selection tracks, cooperation, positive player interaction, close independent economies, and simultaneous actions. And this list, I need to add to it a little bit and maybe even reorder it a little bit. I need to revisit that sometime. Um, but yeah, that is... Uh, that is my current list. In fact, I'm seeing some things. Yeah, this I need to revisit this list. It was a fun list to do about my just favorite mechanisms of all time. But I wouldn't put contract or mission fulfillment on it, even though, like I said, that that mechanism ends up in a lot of these games because it works well as a way to feel like you're building towards something. Daniel says, can you link to that video? Yeah, sure. I'll uh, link to that video. Some of these, the sandbox video is easy to find. You can just search for sandbox on my YouTube channel, but this one's a little bit harder to find. Here's the top 12 favorite game mechanisms and examples from each I posted in the uh, in the comments on Facebook here. Uh, other topics, real quick. Uh, so I mentioned that we did some stuff around Design Day, close to Design Day. And we went to one of my favorite, maybe my favorite fancy restaurant here in St. Louis. I treated a few of my team members and one visiting shareholder to dinner at Bull Rush. Uh, where we had, as always, an incredible experience. If you're in St. Louis, you're ever coming through St. Louis and you want a really special dining experience, expensive but special, I recommend Bull Rush. I also went to the farmer's market, showed that same shareholder around farmer's market. I, I love going to the Saturday morning farmer's market at Tower Grove here in St. Louis. Did a play test, um, went climbing with the team and talked about lunches with the team. Also, oh, I almost forgot. I'm on a podcast that just released today called World at Work. So check out the World at Work podcast and you can see or listen to me talk for about 20 minutes about uh, company culture type things. Um, that was the main topic of the of the podcast. And also, I totally forgot my question of the day. Well, I'll post this for the last 10 minutes here. Um, I've been recently. I uh, commissioned someone, contract work, someone named Andrew, to work on better social media ads for Stonemaier Games. Ads with the intention of reaching people who don't currently know about Stonemaier Games. People who might want to sign up for a launch notification for one of our games. Maybe some ads to inspire people to buy our products. And also to, uh, to kind of remind people that a product is releasing. Like we have some ads running for Apiary right now, letting people know, hey, like this product is actively shipping right now. We're excited about it. Get excited about this game. Um, so I'm curious for you, for any form of social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, Board Game Geek, YouTube, TikTok. I don't use TikTok all that much, but I think people do use TikTok for ads these days. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned this, some of the big, bigger ones there. Google, Google ads even. What ads work for you? What ads are you excited to see? What ads draw you in? And what ads don't do that? Um, 
actually focus more on the positive focus on, on the positive stuff what 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 ads are you intrigued by are you happy to see in your various feeds if any the answer may be none that's okay too let me know for the remaining like five to ten minutes here that we have nancy james says have i played darwin's journey i have played only one so far um, but i have played darwin's journey it is on my shelf right down here um William has a point about, or a, a note about simultaneous games. He says, the only simultaneous game, simul gaming I've done. Okay, so this is my question about playing uh, the same game against two different people at the same time, playing two different sessions. So I played Star Wars deck building game, two separate games against two people the other day. William says he's done it with chess. He says, I'm a chess coach and tutor, and my students like when I play them all at once. I played about five to six games of chess at once. Wow, William, five to six games. So I understand the challenge you recently faced. That's incredible, five to six games. How many, when you do that, William, do you, do you win any of them? Do you win half of them? What's your kind of per, average percentage of winning when you're playing against multiple opponents like that? He says, simul games can be fun for the learners of the game, but stressful for the expert, expert of the game. Especially, I would say, if you're teaching. Teaching makes it particularly difficult. Uh, Corey says, for a game, I'd like a video. Don't make me work to learn about a product. That's interesting, Corey. So rather than a, a, a visual, you want a video um, to, to show you about the product. I see a lot of those in my feeds, for sure. Frank says, I see lots of ads in Facebook, and they do draw me in. I just backed a couple Kickstarter projects based on Facebook ads. So do you like that the project is live? Is that an asset for you where you know you can click through and back it right away? Daniel says, I think Doomlings does a good job. Entertaining, he loves to watch the whole thing. Doomlings ads. Dwayne says, I personally like uh, video ads for board game related IP merchandise on Instagram. So video specific and Instagram, that's good to know. Nathan says, I listen to YouTube a lot at work, but not actually watching. I, I do that too, Nathan. I've been getting repetitive ads for an orange nebulous sieve game that sounds really interesting, but the ad doesn't state the name of the game and the ad ends before I can get the phone, my phone out to see. A reminder to put the details in the actual audio of the ad, not just the visuals. That's a great tip there. I would say, Nathan, at the same time, I would add that to the, um, the subtitles of ads because I do watch some video ads, but with the sound off, I rarely turn the sound on. So that information I think is really important for the... Um, the subtitles. This is also a good reminder, I think, to content creators. I'm so glad you said this, Nathan. To content creators, to when they're talking about a game, mention the name of the game repeatedly. Don't just mention it at the beginning. Um, also remember to mention it at the end, but also in the middle. Because oftentimes I'm listening to a podcast and maybe I've scrolled past the initial ads. Um, I'll confess to doing that or the initial banter at the very beginning and then I get to the part where they're starting to talk about games but I come in in the middle of a discussion about a game so it's helpful when they list the names of the games in the description that's super helpful but also as they're talking about it just say the name of the game that they're talking about as they're talking about it good tip there Nathan uh, Frank agrees about the subtitles have a good day Carol thanks for coming by uh, Leia says we're running a bunch of ads for our upcoming game Kelp. Oh, I've seen those ads, Leia. Yeah, uh, it's, they're they're great looking ads. She says, uh, let me tell you, it's really difficult to analyze performance properly. Videos perform really badly, unfortunately. That's interesting. I didn't know that video, videos would do that. And you're right, analyzing them is difficult. We're I'm trying to do ad tracking so I, so I can see if it's worth the money that we're spending on them. We have a, a limited budget for it, but it's still a budget. Like it adds up it, uh, over time. So. I'm, I'm trying to do a better job or find a way that we can we can really track that ad performance, as is Andrew, our, the guy who's working on it. Um, 
Leia, you know, since you're, I'm wondering, Leia, if you're interested, since if you're still watching this, if you would be interested in, in pairing up maybe with a little bit of a guest post where I'm, I'm sharing my thoughts a little bit on ads, but you're also sharing your experience from kelp. And that could be a way, um, to get some extra eyes on kelp for people who read the blog post on stonemeyergames.com. So Leia, if you're interested in that, and like writing a little bit about your experience of running ads with kelp, not too much, just a little bit, uh, feel free to email me at uh, jamie at stomeyer.com. And uh, let me know if you're, if you're interested in that. I'd love to hear your experiences and I would be happy to share that on the Stomeyer Games blog so people can hear more about kelp. The game looks really, really cool. Chad says from the graphic design side, which is Chad's expertise, I know ads need to be instantly recognizable. Not a lot of copy, great photography. People need to read it quickly as they are scrolling. I'm sure your contractor knows this. We're kind of learning as we go, so we're open to anything. Andrew does do a pretty good job of that, but I definitely agree with that, Chad, that uh, if you have people scroll through really quickly, so it has to catch their eye, hold their attention for a very short amount of time, and hopefully inspire some sort of action in that moment, um, which I think is really difficult to inspire that action, because if I'm in the mood to just scroll and suddenly you're asking me to click through something, that's... Uh, that's a tough moment, but even that exposure, I think, can be helpful. If I paused on the ad for a little bit, that exposure can go a long way. Tom says, I've watched so many top tens in the background, listening to audio but not watching the video, and it's surprising me how few creators repeatedly mention the name of the game. So many times I'm like, wait, what are they talking about? Yeah, Tom, I, I'm, I am sure I am at fault for this too. I really do try to, to repeat the, the number, so I'm like, okay, I, when I introduce number seven, number seven's Ark Nova, um, when I'm done talking about Arc Nova. Again, I say that was number seven, Arc Nova. Next up, we have number six, Earth. And so I, I, I really try to do that really hard, but I, I don't always do it in the middle when I'm talking about the game, and I need to do that better. Leia says that uh, Metapixel is unreliable. Yeah, and Meta is tied to Facebook and Instagram. Tom says, have I seen AlphaGo? The document I have seen AlphaGo. That is a fascinating documentary about um, the game Go. Frank says, I have to say the champion emails are my primary source for info about your new games and info. That's great to know, Frank. And thank you for reading those emails. That goes a long way. Uh, I, it always surprises me sometimes when people says, when people tell us, you didn't, I didn't even hear about this. You didn't even tell, or they say, I didn't even hear about this. And I look to see and they're subscribed to our e-newsletter, or maybe they haven't even subscribed. And like, it's right there in the newsletter, but they haven't actually read it, which, uh, that's uh that's the social contract here i can give you the information but if you don't actually read it you're not going to know about it so frank thank you for reading the champion newsletter and i'll try to make sure that i make the relevant new information put it right at the top so it's easy to skim and see if you don't have time to read the whole thing um uh, mark says i suddenly remember remember an ad for a match three mobile game they made a short skit with actors and the plot was convincing and mysterious it was talked about for quite a while on different platforms that's great when people can come up with videos of that quality i don't think we're at that point with our budget and time but um it's neat to hear when when you have that experience with an ad and can remember it at this point curtis says why do you think many crowdfunding companies for canadian fulfillment land the games in the u.s and then ship to a canadian fulfillment center as a canadian i find this always puts us near the end of the list for getting games trying to appreciate a logistical reason that you may have insight on there is a specific reason for this curtis the reason is that um if the publisher doesn't have enough games to fill a 20-foot shipping container which is the smaller size of a shipping container then shipping directly to a region uh is very very expensive because you're paying them for a whole container even though you only have five pallets in it um 
So that is why. That is why oftentimes they consolidate uh, those pallets into a single 20-foot, maybe 40-foot shipping container to the U.S. and then uh, use LTL shipping to get those uh, those uh, those pallets to Canada. That is that is definitely the reason that they do this. Yeah, I think we've even done it on a few occasions, but usually we have enough stuff to fill at least a 20-foot container, sometimes even a 40-foot container to Canada or other regions. Corey says, advertising content also depends on the goal of the ad. I would treat a game launched differently for advertising for a game that's been in production for years. Yeah, Corey, that's something that I've been talking about a lot with Andrew, the different goals for these ads, moments where we want to sell. We even ran some ads for around Expeditions release that were geared towards just telling people Expeditions is available now from your retailer. So it was an ad that we were paying for to support retailers. Um, and we're, we want to do that. Whenever we have an actual release for the game around that time of the retail release, we want to run ads to support retailers. So um, different, yeah, different, different intents and different structures for the ads as a result. Ian also says he loves the Champion Newsletter. Thank you, Ian. Um, yeah, I think we're at the end here. I see some comments from Sean and Kevin. Thank you for, for those chats. Thank you all for, for sharing your insights here. I love, I know it was a late question, but I, I enjoy hearing what ads are helpful for you. If you have any other afterthoughts about this, feel free to pop over to the YouTube version of this video. That's where I'll more easily get comments after this goes live. And um, yeah, uh, that's where I will see you. See, Mark comes in at the last minute with another question. Have I seen the new KS Kickstarter game Cascadero and its rolling right version, Cascadito? What are your thoughts on two versions of the same game? It's an interesting strategy. I, I, I usually don't see that payoff on Kickstarter where you, you're kind of dividing focus between two different, pro two different products, but these two are related. I've seen Allplay do a great job with their little games. I think it makes sense, especially uh, for consolidating shipping. I think it can be, it can be a great asset um, if you're consolidating a few small things or giving people the option of consolidating a few small things at a lower price and a single shipping cost it can be really helpful for backers. So I can see, definitely see that. Uh, William did have an answer to my question about uh, his simultaneous uh, chess game. Oh, wow. He says, I don't recall whenever I, when I lost a simultaneous game, but that's because if I did, my students would never let me live it down. So William is winning games of chess when he's playing against six different people at a time. He's winning all of those games. He can't remember losing any of them. William, that's incredible. Makes me want to play a game of chess against you and get trounced. I, I am happy to get trounced by you. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well done, William. He says, the simultaneous games are always close and a great way to level the playing field. The more games I play, the harder it is. That's awesome, William. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by that. Let's end on a high note, on a congratulatory note for William for not losing games of chess while playing against six different opponents at the same time. Also, just that one last happy birthday shout out to Between Two Castles. Fifth birthday tomorrow. Feel free to play along uh, tomorrow or this weekend if you want to celebrate the birthday of this wonderful um, not a, it's not a simultaneous game in the way that William's talking about, but it is a simultaneous action game between two castles. Have a great Wednesday. I will see you next week. Take care. Bye.